Well, good morning again. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, as we continue to work through this issue with regard to living out the realities of the new creational lifestyle that we have as a result of our union with Christ, the consequence of which is that our behavior, our conduct, our mindset, our speech, our attitude, our relationships are all dramatically and radically altered. And that cannot be lost. The book of Colossians speaks to the reality of a transformed life as a consequence of us being joined to Christ. Um, and, and Paul certainly has an expectation, as does, does all of Scripture, that salvation results in something, a transformation, a new life. It, of course, we refer to as salvation as what? Regeneration. That's new birth. To be born again is to be changed. We're no longer the 1 Corinthians 2.14 person who does not understand or is not capable of understanding the things of God, but we are now the people who can understand the things of God. We have been changed from that state, and that's so very significant for us. And so Paul speaks to that reality and that issue, and we're going to speak to, again to the issue of the husband, looking at verse 19. We've taken the time to look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we've looked at Colossians chapter 3, 19, what that means, Ephesians chapter 5 and the passages there, uh, beginning with verse 22 to the balance of that chapter. And today we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and consider what Peter's exhortations are to the husband as we continue to work through uh, the husband's role within the home and in the re his relationship with his wife more specifically. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather here today as you're redeemed and, and to, to fellowship and to sing and even to laugh together um, as, as the redeemed of Christ. And we are so grateful for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to realize this reality. Forgive us, Lord, for not living in a manner that reflects this reality. We are buffeted, we are tempted, we fail, we fall. The Bible tells us that the righteous man falls seven times, the implication being, the understanding being that we get back up because you've enabled us to do so through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, instill in us a greater sense of love for Christ. Help us to be uh, mindful of all that he has done as we just sang the fact that we were purchased, that we are, we are not our own, and, and that we are to be focused on Christ alone as a consequence of that. Help us to do that from a heart of gratitude, not begrudgingly, or in an effort to gain more righteousness. We cannot do that. Thank you for meeting all of our needs in that way through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We praise you and pray in his name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, let's look at um, some of these foundational verses that have become very familiar to us. Um, I was... Uh, talking with somebody recently um, or, uh, about the reality of this, and I think they were involved in something with another person in a car, and they, had to, they reminded that they had to forbear and forgive that person. And uh, I was appreciative of the fact that these words are registering in such a way that uh, and even in a car, you're remembering that uh, you have to forgive and forbear in the context of traffic rules and laws and people who may frustrate you. So there you have it, um, the practical application of forgiving and forbearing 
uh, traffic law 101. <laughs> Trust me, you'll keep yourself out of a lot of trouble. I mean, think about that. What's the cure to road, road rage? Forgive and forbear. <laughs> I mean, just do it. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing. So there you have it. So Colossians 3.12, again, this verse is so foundational. I don't want you to miss the impact of it because it's so rich with meaning, so deep theologically and doctrinally. This word so is so significant because it builds and reaches back into everything that Paul has been talking about, the idea that we have been tailored and fitted with this new nature that then demonstrates itself in a pattern of behavior that is consistent with the life of Christ. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Well, we've taken the time to look at verse 19. We understand then that this love is a love that is selfless, that is sacrificing, Um, It's patterned after the manner in which Christ loves the church, his bride. And so we went to understand, to understand that picture better, we went to Ephesians. So if you want to flip back over to Ephesians for a moment, you can, and we we can be reminded briefly of what we looked at there. We considered as the passages beginning in verse 25 for the husbands, Ephesians 5, 25, husband, love your wife, wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Well, we, we've been looking at these passages, and what we're understanding is that um, the, 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 the husband's love for his wife comprehends all other duties a husband owes her before God. So love, love is that bond, as we talked about in Colossians, and it encompasses all these other things that the husband does for his wife. If, his, if a husband's love is active for his wife, he will do for her all that he should say to her all that he should, treat her as he should, feel towards her as he should. Indeed, and it's one of my favorite words. You know, I have favorite words, right? You know this about me. Well, here's another one that you can add to my list, tincture. Oh, yes, tincture. 
Write it down. Because love will tincture all his deeds. Now, I love that word. What does it mean? It means it colors, it tinges. It, 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 everything that he does is imbued with this love that he has for her. So, guys, keep in mind that your, your life and your attitude and your activity, all of your deeds are tinctured with this love. And we've talked about what that love is about, this love that Christ has for his church, selfless, sacrificing, generous, understanding, as we'll see today in Peter. We're gonna, Peter gets very practical. Uh, Peter was married, according to, to, to what we understand from Scripture and from um, church history, and so he perhaps had lived out the realities of, the, of this, and knowing Peter as we do, he probably didn't do it very well at times. Uh, Peter was a, a bit of a rogue in, in the context of his behavior, and so I think perhaps he had lived out much of the reality of this, and we'll see the language that he uses is quite, quite poignant and, and gentle as well. But again, what I want you guys to understand is this. You need to make certain that when you're interacting with your wife, that your love is not just a mere statement of fact, oh, I love you, but rather that it is active, that your love is active. It's one thing to say that you love your wife. It's altogether another thing to do it, right? It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where the reality sets in. And so for, for, for Paul, both in Colossians and Ephesians, and for Peter too, they want to see a reality, a demonstration of this love in real time. This is why it ought to tincture, color, tinge everything that he does with his wife. And so, men, you need to learn the word tincture. You need to appreciate the meaning of it in terms of the fact that you now are able, as the redeemed of Christ, and this is the point, so here's the, here's the, here's the reality of it, if you say to me that you're a Christian and you're married, then my expectation is that indeed you are going to love your wife as Christ has called you to love her, as he has loved the church. And this is something that you ought to be working on, praying about, engaging in. It ought to be a reality. And unfortunately, too many times it isn't. We talk about it, we talk a good game, but we don't live the good game. We don't live the reality of it. And of course, this flows out of what the Lord has done for us, as Paul has so, so precisely explained to us in Colossians chapter 3 with regard to who we are now in Jesus Christ. And so, as you're loving your wife, men, in the context of what Paul is speaking of and what Peter will speak to, your deeds and your words toward her will be tinctured with what? kindness, gentleness, and understanding, which make up love and indeed would stand contrary to the very bitterness that Paul would condemn in verse 19. Paul would say in verse 19 of Colossians 3, do not be embittered against your wife. And so for us men, we have to make certain that we're, we're, we're demonstrating this in a consistent way. We always don't do it perfectly. We have to go to Christ frequently Forgive me, Lord, for not taking care of her the way that I ought to, for not loving her in the way that I should, for not being sacrificial, for not being concerned about her spiritual well-being and for her care and, and for all the things that she would need to understand who she is. And this is what Peter goes to 
It is quite different than what Paul does in terms of this particular issue. So let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Now, again, you know, we, we um, had Pat teach us from this epistle and talking about how we live as elect exiles in Babylon, which I thought was really well done. And it's interesting to me that a dynamic of that living, the reality of our salvation, living that out in Babylon, is to live differently in our marriage than the people in Babylon live to demonstrate the reality of, of the fact that we have a new nature, that we are united with Jesus Christ. And the, the, one of the ways that we demonstrate that uniquely, this is quite profound if you think about it, one of the ways that we demonstrate that we are the redeemed of Christ is how we relate to our wife, how that marriage works, because it ought to stand in stark contrast to what the world is offering. And today we know that marriage is under attack, it's no longer held in regard, it's, it's minimized, it's diminished, it's castigated, it's mocked, it's ridiculed, it's everything but what God intended it to be. But as the redeemed of Christ, we understand because we go to Scripture, we went back into Genesis, we found out what the creation mandate is, we understand that there is a beauty to marriage ordained by God at the very beginning, and he said it was what? Good. And if God says it's good, it's good. And we ought to cherish it, and we ought to reverence it. And it ought to be held in high regard and high esteem. Well, Peter here, speaking to these elect exiles, life is not easy. We've talked about this, cast out to the realms of the Roman Empire, living in difficult circumstances. According to chapter 2, they've got difficult governors, difficult employers, and and marriages that that are challenging. We see that here. But Peter still calls these men to live in a way that demonstrates the reality of who they are in Jesus Christ. And if they can do it, guys, then we can do it. I mean, for Pete's sake, they were, their water probably looked like, you know, tea. They had bugs in their bed that could kill them if they bit them. They had stuff crawling around in their rooms that, that were bad, you know, snakes and stuff. Coyotes, probably. So verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an under... Listen, look at the language that's being used. You husbands. I I like that. It's kind of direct. You husbands. In the same way, now he's already laid out how the wives are to be in the marriage, and it's similar to what we heard from Paul, the issue of submission, the, the honoring of the husband, he reaches back into the Old Testament, uses those as models, which I like. I think that's great. And then he says to the husbands, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. An understanding way. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Well, it's interesting how Peter deals with this issue here. And so what we find then is that Peter's calling um, reaches into not just uh, maybe the surface relational issues, that sometimes we look at, but even to a deeper emotional understanding of 
his wife and to understand then and appreciate the, the creation difference between a man and a woman, which, of course, in today's world is being mocked, right? There, there is no difference, we're being told. A man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. One of the leading documentaries of the past two years is this one that's called What is a Woman? I mean, it's absurd that we can't figure this out. But Peter understood, and he expected a husband to understand his wife in the context of how they are created and made. And so here, Peter instructs Christian husbands to understand and honor their wives. So again, as I'm speaking to you as a believer, my anticipation is that you are going to look at this passage through the work of the Holy Spirit, comprehend it, and then apply it in your life in a way that demonstrates the reality of it. It can be accomplished. We're given it here, so it's anticipated that we'll be able to do it. And so here in 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter has an equally important message for Christian husbands. And although the husband has a unique leadership authority role in the marriage relationship, he is to exercise that authority. Listen to me, men. You are to exercise that authority in a distinctly loving and Christian way. There is a right way and a wrong way. Peter here is explaining the correct way. So what's the first thing? What do we find from verse 7? First of all, you're to be an understanding husband. You're to be an understanding husband. The first thing Peter says is to be an understanding husband. And, and the word understanding is really actually a very good rendering of the Greek in terms of its meaning. So that's, that's, that's a good word to use for this purpose here. Literally, Peter writes, you are to live together according to knowledge. That is, you are to understand what she is and how she is made up. As a consequence, what we do understand then from this is that living with a woman is something a man must know how to do. You, know, you have to know how to do this, which means you have to appreciate how it is that God designed and made her. Which means you go back to the beginning, as we have done, and you can look and consider what God did with respect to his creation of Eve, why he gave her to Adam, and the dynamic that there was significantly a difference between the two of them in, in terms of their emotional makeup and their physicality. There was a difference. There is a difference between a man and a woman. And that reality plays itself out in the marriage. And I would submit to you, a lot of guys struggle in their marriages because they don't appreciate this. So you have a biblical exhortation to learn how to live with your wife by understanding how she has been created and designed. She's not like you. She's not like your buddy that you play golf with. She's not like the guys that you work with. She's not like the guys that you hunt with. She's not like the guys that you golf with or whatever else it may be. She is uniquely different in all aspects from you. That's important to know. A lot of guys would do themselves a great service to learn this lessons. Their marriages would be much happier and more content and more joyful if they could get their arms around this. And if Peter can, you can. <laughs> so let's think about this for a minute. What does this mean? How, how, what, what, what's Peter saying to me? Well, what he's telling me 
is that if he's using the word understanding and that this word means in its broader definition to live together according to knowledge, that means that he has an anticipation that a Christian husband is going to seek to be a learner and student of his wife. And I would submit to you that's a lifelong course. So a Christian husband should be seeking to be a learner and student of his wife. What does this mean? Well, it means that you should pursue insight about how to relate to her appropriately. You should understand how love works within a marriage and what it means. So you go back and you study God's word about how Christ is loving the church, the sacrificial type of sanctifying, patient, enduring love. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute because I want to go back into Ephesians 5 for a minute because there's a passage there that I want to kind of just develop a little bit more for you because it's really quite remarkable. So as a consequence of this understanding, you're pursuing insight, self-control, love, patience, grace, and wisdom in order to be an understanding husband. This is a goal. This is an objective. And you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit through a new nature to do this. So again, it goes back to our little analogy of Bob the Christian. Can you do it? Yes, you can. This also speaks to the idea of a tenderness in your love for your wife. Now, this is very practical. I want, you, I want to show you something. Let's look at five. Let's go back to Ephesians for a minute. I, I just love the way the Bible works this way. Look at this. Now, now, I want you to consider this for a minute. I don't want to lose my spot. Here we go. Okay. Ephesians 5, 27. Now, now what Peter is talking about here in 3, 7 of 1 Peter is the idea of being an understanding husband and, and, and learning how to love your wife and to appreciate the difference that has been made between the two of you from a creation standpoint. The idea of pursuing insight and the idea of, the, uh, of, of being tender. And what does this mean? Christ has been tender with his bride, the church. How do I know this? I'll tell you how I know. Ephesians 5.27 tells me this. He says this, Paul says this in Ephesians 5.27. Let's go back to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church never be reminded enough of this, and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is all one sentence. Verse, 20, verse 27, that he might do what? Present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So what Paul is speaking of there and what Peter is speaking of too in terms of understanding is this enduring, understanding kind of love, which means that you work through the difficulties. Do you think churches have spots or wrinkles? Yes, they do. But at some point in time, they're not going to, right? This is what Paul's point is, that Christ loved the church so much that, that he works through all the challenges, all the spots, all the wrinkles are dealt with. Ultimately achieving the presentation of something that is what he would refer to holy and blameless. 
So in the context of a husband's relationship with his wife, your mindset is the same. That is that you are to understand her and to work through her in the context of all struggles and setbacks because it's a love that never fails. It's a love that works through the spots. It's a, work, it's a love that irons out the wrinkles. It's a love that endures all things. Do you see this? That's incredibly important. And so, so Paul, so Peter, again, he, he's, he's contemplating the same principle that a husband, as Christ has with the church, is going to live with her and love her in an understanding way with the objective to be sanctifying her, working through those issues, and ultimately achieving what is glorifying to God in the context of that marriage. To accomplish what it is that God ordained at the very beginning. When he put Adam and Eve together, he said it was good. He designed it to be a, a relationship where there was headship, there were roles and responsibilities, but they were accomplished in a loving, sacrificial, sanctifying way. It wasn't combative, it wasn't a competition, it wasn't a race. This is really at the heart, I think, of so many issues that come up in marriages. And I think it's very practical in terms of, of understanding the husband's responsibility to be the one who brings these issues to light and to establish this type of baseline relationship. The husband is pursuing insight. He is pursuing self-control. He's not a selfish husband. He is a loving husband, a patient husband, a gracious husband, and he acts wisely in the context of understanding his wife's emotional makeup. That's what, Paul's, that's what Peter's driving at. This is why he says what he does with respect to the picture of the, the, the weaker vessel or the language that's used there. We can go back and, and, and continue to examine this. Verse 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives. Look at the language. Live with your wives. Well, live. What does living mean? It's every day. It's all the stuff we do. The highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the wonderful, the dismal, whatever it might be. Live with her. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, guys will say, well, you know, um, I want, I, I, I really think the wife ought to be the emotional support person. <laughs> we call these things today. But that's not the case. It's, it, the picture here is that the, the, the one who is stable in the relationship in the context of emotions is the husband because he's understanding what it is that God has done in the design, not that women are emotionally unstable, but in the context of understanding the makeup, he's to have a clearer understanding of what God has ordained in the context of his creation design. That's significant because a lot of guys just pass on this. Ah, no thanks. I'll pass. Ah, you know, we, you know, I, you know, I buy her flowers once in a while, and, you know, we, we go to, you know, Longhorn and whatever. That, that should be enough. You don't really understand her. You know, I have to understand her? Come on, Pastor. Are you serious? I got to understand her. Yeah. Because you're living with her, right? Are you living with her? I hope you are. So you say, you love, 
and you live in an understanding way. And I look what he says. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Oh man, am I going to get in trouble on this? My goodness, dear God, why did you give me this passage to preach? On Mother's Day, I have no other places to do it. Well, what do we understand then? So the idea here is that the husband's carriage, the way that he comports himself to her, to the wife, should be full of tenderness and composed of love and compassion. Why is this? The word living is a significant reference for Peter. Husbands and wives live together and share together the most intimate matters of human life, sexual, emotional, financial, and spiritual. To live successfully in such close, intimate relationship requires a great deal of effort and wisdom. It demands knowledge of God's design for the marriage relationship, especially God's teaching on headship and submission. So husband and wife alike ought to have an understanding of what God has ordained in this context. But here we have the problem. Some men don't seem to have a clue about how to treat a woman. They're insensitive to their wife's needs and feelings. They can't understand their wife's frustrations and hurts. They are deceived about themselves. They think only of their own careers and self-fulfillment. They exhibit incredible selfishness and callousness. They are capable of making of, of uh, they are capable only of making women suffer. These men need to repent, seek counsel, and study God's word on Christian husband, husbanding, beginning with 1 Peter 3 as a place to start. It's lamentable that the state of marriage is such that we have to have shelters for women to go to be protected from the men that they're married to. There aren't shelters for men, there's shelters for women, and there's a reason for that. And so Peter has an expectation here, and perhaps this was a problem to the people that Peter was writing to, that there were relationships in, in the context of what was going on that were just wholly unbiblical, perhaps even abusive to some degree, either physically or even emotionally. But Peter has an expectation that a husband is going to be acting in a way that is understanding and a, a, a way that... Um, um, of, of appreciates who she is. So he is going to show her honor, of course. This is what Peter speaks to here. Too many husbands make their wife feel worthless and unappreciated. They take her for granted. They intimidate, humiliate, criticize, and put down their wife. I've seen this. You and I have interacted with these people. We all know them. It's horrible. It's just horrible. I'll never forget a funeral I went to. I mean, after even his wife passed, he was still demeaning her. Unbelievable. Some men seek to control their wife as if she's a little child, while others neglect their wives entirely. This is not the behavior of a Christian husband. It's pagan behavior. So this is what's interesting. So Peter here is writing, Paul's writing. He's writing to people who are predominantly in pagan cultures. You and I have been, to some degree, spared that, although I would submit to you our culture is pretty pagan but perhaps not to the degree here, because marriage was not held in the same regard as we at least have here as a result of common grace. Our laws even recognize the, the value of marriage in some context and the, and, and the intent behind it. And so here Peter is showing this new creational lifestyle, as does Paul, 
is contrary and contrasted against what the pagans are doing, which is not this. They're treating women like property, chattel, being abusive, multiple wives, all of that thing. And it was not good. For a Christian, for a redeemed man, for a Christian man, he is going to stand in stark contrast to the pagan, as we should even today. And so he emphasizes the issue of understanding, this issue of tenderness, not to take her for granted, not to control her in an abusive way or in a, in a way that's heavy-handed. The contrast here is clear. A Christian husband gladly honors his wife. He knows that she deserves a special place of honor, so he speaks well of her and to, and to her. He tells her that she is loved and needed and that he is blessed to be her husband. He prizes her counsel and seeks her correction. He reminds her that she is an indispensable part of his life, a special gift from the Lord, and has a worth that is far above jewels. Proverbs 31.10. I would submit to you young men and old men alike that if, if you're not engaged in that type of dynamic with your wife and you're kind of wondering why things aren't quite the way that you had thought they were going to be, well, maybe you ought to sweeten up your speech a little bit and be mindful of who she is. And as my dad would often say, bathing doesn't hurt either. Well, Peter supplies additional three reasons for honoring and understanding one's wife. One is the issue of this weaker vessel picture that is painted. Peter first reminds the husband that the wife is the weaker vessel. And here Peter is not belittling women by calling them the weaker vessel at all. The husband is also, what, a vessel. And by vessel, he simply means a human being, a human being. And so this idea here is that he's teasing out the difference between a man and a woman. In verse 7, we see your husbands, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, a woman. And so here Peter is reaching back into that whole Genesis 1-3 creational mandate paradigm. And you can't get away from that. It's important for Paul. It's important for Peter. Isn't that significant? If it's important for them, then it must be important for you. And as a Christian, you can't abandon it. And some are today, which is lamentable, terrifically bad. So significantly, what we do know is this. Peter, Peter says she's the woman. It's interesting he doesn't say the wife. He says the woman. The feminine one is the language, the female. This reminds us the husband of his wife's feminine nature. It emphasizes this important fact. She is not a man. She is not a man. It's hard to believe that saying such a thing is controversial today. But what this means and what Peter is saying to you husbands is this, that God created her with unique differences. And that you as the husband must understand the differences if you intend to live with your wife in an understanding way and properly honor her. That's, that's, that's significant. 
Peter says in verse 7, the latter part, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so the wife is to be treated with special honor precisely because of her position as the more vulnerable partner. And she is more vulnerable. Contrary to what we're being told today, she's more vulnerable to physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, unjust treatment, and abandonment. So the Christian husband must consider his wife's vulnerable position and not take unfair advantage of her. And clearly, Peter's remarks do not, do not deny a woman's unique strengths and abilities. This is not about ability. It's just simply about the creation order and mandate and design. Peter simply here, and I love this, and I think we are missing this, and I'm just going to say it, that the women just aren't feminine anymore. And it's partly because of the whole thing that's going on in our culture and men not recognizing that they ought to be supporting and fostering that feminine attribute that God has given to them. And so Peter here is doing something very real and practical. He's reminding men of the woman's feminine nature in order to encourage them to be more understanding and honoring of their wives. She is not a man. She is a woman. What is a woman? An adult female. It's not that hard. I could be on the Supreme Court. So we have to understand this. He also says that they are equals in spiritual life. Peter reminds the husband that his wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. The wife is the weaker vessel in terms of the marriage relationship on earth, but she is not weaker in spiritual life and destiny. This is what Peter's point is. The wife is a co-heir with her husband in salvation and eternal life. How do I know that? Well, go back to the beginning. He doesn't carve out, carve out women when he introduces the epistle. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, he's speaking to men and women alike. They're all in that category. They too have, in verse 4, obtained an inheritance which is imperishable. They too are protected by the power of God, in verse 5. They have been extended God's mercy in verse 3. They are a part of the elect exiles. Equal in all context. And so Peter emphasizes that for this, this group of husbands that he's writing to. The wife is a co-heir with her husband in salvation and eternal life. Thus she is his equal in the faith. A woman's faith, her salvation is not diminished or lessened. That's not his point. But she is designed differently. She's not a man. Do you see the difference? I hope you're catching the difference. All Christian women, as well as men, belong to what? As Peter would say in verse 9 of chapter 2, royal priesthood, holy nation, and people for God's own possession. That's just not men. That's women alike. Men and women alike. Significantly, too, Paul or Peter concludes verse 7 with this warning in, in many ways. If you don't follow what I'm saying, you could have a problem, men. Now, this is significant. So he lays out this roadmap for men. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a difficult journey in many respects. He wants you to be understanding, patient, loving, gentle, tender, 
all of those things. Understand how she's made, how God designed her, that there's a difference. She's not a man. Treat her accordingly. She's also your equal in the faith. She is part of the royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people after God's own heart, the whole thing. But if you fail to do that, there is a consequence to you men for not recognizing Peter's instruction. It's this. That, so you do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. The implication being, if you're not doing this, that there's some form of discipline associated with failing to recognize this and to deal with it biblically. So Peter has an equally important message for Christian husbands here in this context. Although the husband has a unique leadership authority role in the marriage relationship, he is to exercise his authority in a distinctly loving and Christian way. That's what we're seeing. And if he doesn't, there's a consequence to it. There's some aspect of discipline that is associated with this. If you don't honor your wife, your prayers will be hindered. And no man can afford to have his prayers hindered by God. Such an action by God is indicative of divine discipline. So what does this tell me? With with a warning clause like that in this passage, what am I being told by God? That he's serious about a man honoring his wife. He's serious about it. He's very serious about it. A Christian husband cannot treat his wife harshly or neglect her and also be a spiritual man. God will not respond to a hypocritical husband who who prays eloquently in front of the church but treats his wife cruelly at home. And so we see then that this is indeed a serious matter. It, Peter, it's so practical. It's, so, it's just so down to earth. And as I've noted, a lot of marriages would be stronger if the husband would, would assume the re- responsibilities that have been articulated both in Colossians 3.19, you don't get embittered, Ephesians 5, Love your wife as Christ loved the church. If that's too hard for you, then love her like you love her yourself, which is always tenderly and, and wonderfully. You're never hard on yourself. And so you've got, that very, you've got that very high and lofty kind of standard. Then you've got that very practical kind of, if you can't get that, guys, then get this. You know, you pretty much love yourself pretty good, so love your wife that way. And then over here in Peter, you get this very practical thing. Hey, understand who you're living with, that God made her differently for a reason. And aren't you glad he did? I I don't want to be married to my buddy like that. I mean, she's my buddy, but not my golfing buddy kind of thing. Not my, you know, whatever. The guy I hang out with wherever. No, she's been uniquely designed and made for me. This is what Scripture tells me. And we need to stand firm on the idea that that is indeed how God intended it and not buy into all the nonsense that we're being sold today. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying our culture. It's destroying homes. All this nonsense that's going on. I think, ultimately, Peter's exhortation can be summed up in the song that we all know, Try a Little Tenderness. Whether you like the Otis Redding version or 
or, or Frank Sinatra's or uh, whoever. But the words are appropriate. Try a little tenderness, right? It's not just sentimental. She has her grief and care. But the soft words, they are spoken so gentle, it makes it easier, easier to bear. I mean, this is good theology. You won't regret it. The girls, they don't forget it. Love is their whole happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all so easy. All you got to do is try. Try a little tenderness. Yeah. All you got to do, man, is hold her when you want to. Squeeze her. Don't tease her. Get to her. Go to her. Try a little tenderness. Don't be surprised, man. Don't be surprised. How practical is this? Try a little tenderness. Don't bruise her. You got to love her. You got to try, man. You got to try. Try a little tenderness. Try a little tenderness. Now, there you go. How hard is that? Uh, you guys, you ought to memorize the song. You ought to memorize 1 Peter 3, 7 and go home and quote it to your wife then sing, then sing Try a Little Tenderness and see what happens. Try a little tenderness. Yes, it's, 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 we can laugh at it, but it's, it's real, right? That's what Peter's saying. Be tender, men. Here's the thing. What does this song capture? It's interesting what this song captures. This song captures the fact that God designed a woman to respond to what? Tenderness. It, it, it incorporates the very idea of what we've been talking about. That an aspect of an emo, a woman's emotional makeup is to respond to this kind of tender, loving demonstration. That's the way God intended it. You want your marriage to improve? Try a little tenderness. Apply what Peter has said. Be mindful of how serious God takes it. It is a serious matter. And I would submit to you that if you approach it from the standpoint that the Scripture has ordained, you'll have a marriage. It won't always be perfect. Nothing can ever be perfect. But it certainly can be very good. And it can be Christ-honoring and God-glorifying. And he will bless, and he will preserve, and he will keep. So try a little tenderness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement and the exhortation. Forgive us for falling short on these issues. We tend to let them slip away from us and get focused on other things. Thank you for being gracious to forgive us all the time, over and over and over and over and over again, for all the things that we have done in the past, for all the things that we're doing in the present, and even for the things that we're going to do in the future. They are covered by the finished work of Christ. Thank you for letting us rest in that fact. We praise you in his name. Amen. God bless.